Almighty Heavenly Father, we come to you today. You are great and you are gracious. And Lord, we come this morning to align ourselves under your word. But Lord, we confess that there are many things to distract us. There are many things that would pull us away from hearing and obeying your word. God the Spirit, I pray that this morning you would work in us so that we would hear what you have to say. Remove from us those things that distract us and bring us into your presence. God the Son, we want to glorify you this morning. We want to lift your name high because you are worthy. We love you, Jesus. Amen. The Bible is boring because you're not paying attention. This is my favorite quote from our youth pastor, James Barr. Whatever it is you might want, it's there in the Bible. Romance, violence, intrigue, war, truth, lies. There's prophecies, there's revelation, there's teaching, there's poetry. It's all there. You just need to look. You just need to pay attention. Of course, the biggest reason the Bible is boring is that you have an enemy of your soul that seeks to distract you from reading the Bible by any means possible. You will think of every possible excuse to get up from the table or chair and go see about something. There's someone to talk to, someone to email or text, some me-we to check. You will think of every sin you have ever committed and reasons why God should mock you while you're reading His Word, which He will never do, by the way. You will think of every movie, TV show, Facebook post, everything, anything that will take you from paying attention to God's Word. And that precisely is why God's Word, the Bible, is boring. Instead, because of all of this, instead, we need to train ourselves to enjoy God's Word. So, what, for example, might a busy mom do to train herself to enjoy God's Word? One way might be reading a chapter in the Gospels to your kids every day. Use Siri to remind you to keep track of time. Use your smartphone to read one chapter in the Gospels. I started years ago reading to my boys one chapter out of Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. We would work our way through there several times just by reading one chapter a day. And while you're reading, ask your kids, what did you learn about Jesus in this chapter today? Or what did you learn about people in this chapter? You will be surprised what your kids will teach you so that you will want to pay attention. You don't need a dissertation. You just need some spirit-guided thought. So pray and read. Do this so that you will increase your appetite to eat at the feast that God offers you 24-7 in His Word. Now today we're coming to two transition paragraphs. These two paragraphs are ones that many would simply let their eyes roll past so that they can get to the good stuff. 
By the way, when you catch yourself having this attitude, kind of rolling past some stuff so you can get to the good stuff, repent. That's the kind of attitude that makes the reading the Bible boring. Tell Jesus what you're doing. He already knows. And then ask Him to forgive you. And then ask God the Spirit to come and give you the grace you need to pay attention and find the Bible is not boring. Perhaps you need to keep a pad of paper and a pencil near you so you can write down some of those distracting thoughts that occur to you so you can push them out. Get them on paper so that you can give your mental time to them later because right now you have something much more important to think about. But here, as I said, we come to the first of the big transitions in Mark's Gospel. Jesus wants to take a brief vacation after all the healings and controversies. And after this brief vacation, Mark begins a section that will end in chapter 6 that concentrates on Jesus' training of the twelve. And my friends, there is plenty to keep our hearts and our minds busy if we allow ourselves to pay attention and follow the Son of God. Let's read the first of these two paragraphs. Mark, Mark chapter 3, verses 7 to 12. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God! And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. Jesus' service is now well underway in Mark's Gospel. And Mark wants to help us see that there is so much more to Jesus and all that He did for people around Him than He is able to relate. So he kind of gives this little summary here. Again, let's begin. 7 and 8a. Jesus withdrew with His disciples to the sea and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea, from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. Notice, first of all, that Mark says Jesus withdrew. Now Mark had just related several miracles and then he related several arguments that Jesus had with the various Jewish authorities. Jesus evidently wanted to take a break from the helter-skelter of life and get out of Dodge, so to speak. So he went out into the wilderness. <laughs> it's not what happened, though. What happened instead was that many followed him. And when Mark says a great crowd, he used language that people in his day would have recognized. This was not some peaceful group sitting quietly and listening to the clean and manicured Sunday school felt board Jesus. Jesus was not preaching around these cuddly little lambs. You need to think of Jesus being jostled by the crowds, being hassled by the reporters. These were people who gave Jesus no rest. The other thing you need to notice in these two verses is the diversity found in this ad hoc group. Matthew, excuse me, Mark goes out of his way to point this out. 
Jesus attracted all kinds of people. By the way, so should we. It seems to me that the church often does things backwards. We spend all our time with holy people, and for some reason, we don't want to become drunkards. But what if drinking too much is not a problem you have? Perhaps you should spend time with drunkards because they need Jesus just as much as you. That might be a way that you need to follow the Son of God as we continue reading. When the great crowd heard all that Jesus was doing, they came to him, and he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around to touch him. Again, these were not polite folks. They wanted to follow Jesus because he had healed many. There was no penicillin. There were no x-rays. There were no casts. The people needed healing, and they were not ashamed to beg. So Jesus got into a boat so that he and his friends were not crushed. Verse 11, And when the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And Jesus strictly ordered them not to make him known. Here's where it gets real, so to speak. Unclean spirits were everywhere. And they were causing the people that they demonized to fall down before Jesus. They wanted to bind Jesus by naming him. What does that mean? There was a great deal of myth back in those days, just as there is today. The demons encouraged people to believe that if you were able to name a spirit, you could have control over it. Satan and his minions love to propagate that lie so that they can further deceive us. But Jesus got right back in their face. You have no control over me. Get out. But there's something else. Something even more important going on here. Mark intentionally moves his narrative forward in describing these demons naming Jesus. Jesus is, in fact, the Son of God. And whatever it was that the demons intended by naming this, it didn't matter. Jesus is the Son of God, and Mark wants us to know it. You see, In this story, the crowds are falling on Jesus. They're attacking Jesus. The demons, on the other hand, were falling before Jesus. They knew Jesus, and they were forced to acknowledge him, so they did. You and I will do well to pay attention and to follow the Son of God. Now, this is the second of four times that Mark notes that Jesus is the Son of God. Twice in Mark's Gospel, it is a demon that acknowledges the fact. And once, it is a centurion, the centurion who crucified Jesus, who acknowledges this man was the Son of God. And part of Mark's point, I think, is that Jesus' enemies notice the truth. But what about his friends? We are so easily forgetful. How do I know this? I know this because you and I are in the middle of turmoil right now that should cause us even more readily to confess, Jesus, you are the Son of God. 
Jesus is the King of kings and the President of presidents. Praise Jesus. And you and I need to hear the demons fall before Jesus, confessing Him as the Son of God. As they all will do one day, much to their chagrin and much to our everlasting joy. And in the very real pain of demonization, in the very real pain of the fear and loathing and confusion that is prevalent today, Jesus speaks to the spirits and He sends them away. You, Christian, do not need to be afraid. You, Christian, do not need to be uncertain. You are safe. You are loved as you follow the Son of God. Yes, trouble is coming. Yes, trouble is already here. And you and I must allow the natural reactions to turn our hearts to Jesus. Allow the confusion and frustration to turn you towards the One who can help you through whatever you're going through right now and also forever. You can do this because Jesus is the Son of God and He calls us to follow Him. Now what might this look like for you? For example, at your office you might hear someone celebrating or lamenting the election that we just had and doing it very loudly. Either direction, the boasting or the cursing, will continue. And you don't need to let it control you. You don't have to allow what in a hundred years will mean absolutely nothing to you control you today. Instead, allow what will mean everything to you in a hundred years cause you to rejoice always. Jesus is the Son of God. Follow the Son of God. This is how you can follow the Son of God. This is how you can become more and more the man or woman of God that you long to be. And that is by allowing the Son of God, by, by following the Son of God exactly as He calls us to in this next paragraph, verses 13 through 19. Jesus went up on the mountains and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James the son of Zebedee, and John the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, son of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, and James, the son of Altheus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Now again, the Bible is only boring when you're not paying attention. Many years ago, I decided I needed to memorize the names of the twelve tribes of Israel and the twelve apostles. At that time, I'm sure I looked at these verses and I imagined that they were interesting only to the extent that I can, you know, memorize some really cool Bible trivia that meant absolutely nothing to my life. How sad is that? 
Why sad? Why, why would that be sad? Because in verses 13 through 15, we have some of the most important truths found anywhere in Mark's gospel. We are told to follow the Son of God. Look with me. Verse 13, And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, he might send them out to preach, and that they would have authority to cast out demons. Next to the death and resurrection of Jesus, there may be nothing more important in the Gospel of Mark than these three verses. There may be truths equally important, but not more. What we see here is that Jesus called and they came. Jesus appointed and they responded. Jesus spoke and they acted. Now, this is not mere trivia for us. You and I are meant to pay attention. You and I are meant to recognize the Bible is not boring. And a big reason why the Bible is not boring is because you are meant to see yourself right here. Jesus called and we came. Jesus appointed and we responded. Jesus spoke and we acted. The Bible is certainly about the people and places that it mentions, no doubt. And you are always meant to draw inferences about yourself from them. And in this case, clearly, we are to understand Jesus' work in the apostles is meant to show us how he will also relate to us. And whenever you see the phrase, Jesus went up on the mountain, in Mark's gospel, you need to pay attention. Jesus is up to something. He's underlining. Mark is underlining what Jesus is about to do with this phrase. And in this case, Mark is underlining the fact that Jesus is going up on the mountain bringing 12 men so that they would be with him. Jesus calls these men and they came. You are meant to see the causal relationship here. You are meant to see the reality that Jesus is the sovereign God who has authority to call and he has the power to make that call effective. They came. And so, next, he appoints 12. And we pass over this quickly. We, we think it's boring. We, we decide that it doesn't really mean very much. Yet, it's astounding. And when we pay attention, we see that, and we know that in those days, teachers did not appoint students or disciples. The disciples chose the rabbi. The disciples appointed themselves a rabbi, but Jesus did not mess with that. He wasn't going to go there. He appointed people. Why? Because no one would have followed him had he not appointed them. What do I mean by that? When your friends don't want to come to church, remember that at least one reason why they refuse is because Jesus is hard to follow. And they know that if they go to a Bible-believing, Christ-honoring church like Grace Baptist Santa Maria, they're going to be asked to follow. 
Oh, it's easy to acknowledge Jesus is a great teacher. That's fine. People say the same thing about Confucius or Siddhartha Gautama. But of those who call Jesus or Confucius or Buddha a great teacher, the vast majority of them have no idea what they're talking about. They don't want to. Calling Jesus a great teacher is a way of dismissing him. 2,000 years ago, what does it mean to me? And my friends, this is a crucial point. Don't miss this. Because no one would voluntarily follow Jesus as more than a great moral teacher who did not already have God the Spirit moving in them. Jesus isn't looking for people to follow him as a great moral teacher. He's asking them to follow him as the Son of God. And God the Spirit must move in a person for them to do that. Because, my friends, Jesus' demands are just way too personal. They're out of line. They are so radical. We can accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but not as a son of God. Evidently, every demon knows better than we do. My friends, you can rejoice that Jesus calls you And you can respond. Because when you get right down to it, Jesus' demands are just impossible. Look with me at Mark 8. Calling the crowd to him with his disciples, Jesus said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. And whoever will lose his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Deny myself? What does that even mean? Take up my cross? You want me to die a painful, shameful death? Evidently. Evidently, Jesus wants you to deny yourself by making your world not about you. Jesus wants you to deny yourself by not being wrapped up in making your life about number one. Jesus wants you to deny yourself by making your life about following the Son of God. Dietrich Bonhoeffer about this verse said, when Jesus calls a man, he bids him come and die. God the Son calls us. Follow the Son of God. That is what he's saying here. That's not even the most important thing going on in these verses. That is not the most important thing going on here. It's what we see in verse 14. Jesus appointed the twelve so that He might be with them and He might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. We need to pause here for a moment. Jesus appointed the twelve, and by implication, as I've already been arguing, appointed you and me that we might be with Him. Not that we might do good works. Not that we might evangelize our neighborhood. Not that we might, do, we might read the Bible through a hundred times. Jesus appointed you that you might be with Him. My friends, you can do less than be with Jesus, but you cannot do more than be with Jesus until you're with Him. 
Acts 4.13. Now, when the Jewish leaders saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that these men had been with Jesus. Do you want to be bold for Jesus? When was the last time you were simply with Jesus? When was the last time you picked up a Bible to read a section of Jesus' life? When was the last time you wasted time thinking about Jesus? Whatever your answer to those questions were, whatever, whenever that was, that was the last time you prepared for the rest of your life so that you can be bold. That was the last time that you prepared for the eternity that is coming. That was the last time you followed the Son of God. Prepare for this afternoon with Jesus by imagining now what it would take for you to spend five minutes with Jesus. The reality is for most of us, it would not take much. But take the time and think, what would you need to take out of your day? What would you need to add? What is it that you do that while you're doing it, you realize you're wasting time and afterwards you regret it? You could probably cut that out, right? Give yourself new affections, a new heart by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit give you new affections and a new heart so that you would enjoy following the Son of God. If you are going to follow the Son of God, you need to make your priorities reflect where you want to be. Where do you, this afternoon, need to follow the Son of God? Because it's only after you have spent time with Jesus that you'll be able to preach. Now some of you, maybe most of you, are sitting there thinking, but I'm not a preacher, perhaps. But you are one who is where you are to share the good news with those near you. You are to preach. You are to give testimony to what you have experienced. You don't need to be ordained. You don't have to have a doctoral degree. You just have to have a relationship with Jesus. You just have to have experience with Him in His Word and in His world. And as you develop this relationship, as you grow by grace through faith, as you become more and more the man or woman in Christ you were created to be, by grace, by His undeserved divine power to give you life and godliness, through faith, through trusting His promises, as God does this in and through and for you, you will have a greater and greater amount of longing to be with Him. And you will have a greater and greater amount of authority. Now, what's going on there? Perhaps you will never cast out demons. Perhaps the authority you realize that you will in fact have will be no more than gaining better control in an area that you struggle with. Hmm. I wonder if that has anything to do with having authority over demons. More than likely, you will continue to struggle until the day that Jesus calls you home. 
But the victory can be in the struggle. The victory is in being with Jesus. And when you're struggling, recognize that Jesus is with you. Jesus isn't mad at you. Jesus is looking at you and saying, My daughter, come to me. And that is why you can follow the Son of God. Verse 16. Jesus appointed the twelve, Simon to whom he gave the name Peter, James the son of Zebedee, and John the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon the zealot and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. Now the first thing we know that we need to say about this list of the twelve's names is that we know almost nothing about any of them. (laughs) Almost nothing. And that's perfectly okay. That's just the way God meant it to be. Why? Because the most important thing to know about a person is does this person belong to Jesus? Has this person been with Jesus? If a person belongs to Jesus, if someone has been with Jesus, then that's all you need to know. Now, of course, there are some more important things. And yes, of course, you want to know a person, and that involves a whole lot more. But in the case of these apostles, what you need to know is that they belong to Jesus. They have been with Jesus. So why am I harping on this? It's because of what we saw in verses 13 and 15 applies to these apostles. Certainly, that is true. But it most assuredly applies to you and me as well. You and I are meant to read this paragraph not so we can answer some trivia questions. That makes the Bible boring. You and I are meant to read this paragraph so that we can see that it applies directly to you and me. Jesus called, we came. Jesus appointed, we respond. Jesus spoke, we act. And that is how we follow the Son of God. You must answer when Jesus calls because He has authority to make you respond. And you choose to follow Him. You choose to respond to Him. You choose. You must choose to arrange your life so that you will be with Him. So begin planning today because if you fail to plan to follow the Son of God, you plan to fail to follow the Son of God. Follow the Son of God. My friends, the Bible is only boring for those who are not paying attention. Pray and ask God the Spirit to move in you to see what is written there about you and for you and to you. And then repent of your willingness to be so easily distracted from His words. Get that pad of paper and pencil so you can jot them down and remember them later. Get that out of your mind so that you can, while you're in God's Word, follow the Son of God. Oh, God the Spirit, we confess, we are so easily distracted. Clear our minds 
unburden our hearts, cause us to love God the Son. God the Father, be glorified. Work in us and through us and for us for your glory, for our joy, and for the growth of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.